0: Well, good morning, Hope Mississauga. I remember it was the um, summer of 2003 when a young couple, Ted and Lindsay Duncan. I came walking into our, again, core group meeting of what we were hoping to see a church being planted, and to think 17 and a half years later, and again, coming up in 18, all that the Lord has done, and to be here now to be with you, to be our, with our first child, so to speak. What a joy, and what a privilege, and what a blessing, Ted. I want to thank you so much just for allowing me to be here, the privilege to serve in this way, um, and just the friendship we share and the, um, it's amazing the unity we have as churches in a time where it's never been so needed. I just I treasure that, that is so precious, and it warms my heart to think that all that we get to look back upon what God has done, and even Ted and I this past week, talking about this service, we did reminisce a little bit. It brought tears to my eyes pretty quickly because you're like, man, the faithfulness of God, as we just sang, and when God is perfect, he's perfectly faithful in the past, he's perfectly faithful now, which means he must be perfectly faithful in the future because he can't be anything but perfectly faithful that blesses me. And so let's just give thanks to God right now as we are about to uh, enter into God's word together. Father, right off the bat, I just want to acknowledge you are awesome and glorious. There is none like you. You are holy and so wise. You are so generous and so kind. And Lord, by faith right now I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you are supernaturally filling and encouraging every heart and every person watching right now as only you can. You are limited again by nothing and so you will choose to speak and renew minds. You will choose to encourage. You will choose to uplift. You will choose to cause heart after heart and and eyes after eyes to be able to lift up from this world that is so discouraging and depressing and to look up to the Lord Jesus Christ who will never let us down. Lord, ultimately here we go today. You will never stare in the face of Jesus Christ and be let down. Church, hear that. You will never ever stare in the face of Jesus Christ and feel let down because he is perfection, he is good, and he is God. And so I pray you will maximize our time right now as we are in Isaiah chapter 4. And I pray again, you will speak as only you can. We pray this together. I'm so thankful to be here. I'm not worthy, but I'm thankful and needy. Declare my dependence upon God. We pray together in Jesus' name. Wherever you are, you can say amen, amen. All right, super. I encourage to be with you in God's word. Again, as Ted said, please open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. And our message today is called this, Behold Your Awesome God. Behold your awesome God that is going to come right out of our text today. Yes, the Lord is awesome and we will see that again today, but we need to see that again today in the midst of a time in a world that is just nuts, isn't it? It's just nuts and so many so distracted, so many so obsessed with temporal, so many being lulled to sleep right to death. But we know better, and God calls us to know better and see better as those who belong to him. So for some context from Isaiah 40, I want you to look at verse 9 to start, which really sets up everywhere we're going. In verse 9, it says this, Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion. Listen to this, herald of good news. And then notice all the commands here, lift up your voice with strength, all the preachers said amen. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, repeated again, so much emphasis here, lift it up, there it is again, lift it up, fear not, I mean such a word right now, say to the cities of Judah, Say to the city of Oakville, say to the city of Burlington, say to the city of Mississauga, my hometown, for 25 years, praise the Lord. Say to the cities of Judah, and notice the message here. Notice, look right there. The message ultimately, again, given through Isaiah and the Holy Spirit for the people of God is this, behold your God. The command to herald this message, the command to lift up a strength in this message The command to spread across and say to the cities this message. Behold your God. Look to your God. Behold your awesome God right here, right now. For that is where life is truly lived. The context in Isaiah 40, the people have been exiled. Isaiah 40 is actually a massive transition chapter, again, within this glorious book. The transition of the people, they've been exiled. They're despairing. They are discouraged. They look around and later on within this chapter, they start to say, has God forgotten us? Has he not seen our rights? Has he left us? Has he abandoned us? And the answer to those feelings among the people of God, God says, listen, since when have you forgotten who I am, what I can do, what I have done, and what I promise to do within your life? So again, in the midst of a people exile, so many of us feel like we've been exiled in our homes, don't we? For people who are discouraged and tempted to despair, the response and the antidote is theology in terms of behold your God, because you will never stare in the face of Jesus Christ and feel that down. That's what's happening here as we open up Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah, led by the Holy Spirit, is calling people to look from their selfish sinful, the sin that brought consequences of their exile, and to look beyond that, and now to behold again their God who is awesome. This is our call today. We need this so much. So just before we go any further, I just want to put up on the screen for you a definition of awesome, and we can do that now. The definition of awesome, it says this, causing or inducing awe, amen, inspiring an overwhelming feeling of reverence, admiration of fear, as in an awesome sight. That's one of our goals here today. The definition continues, exhibiting or marked by awe, showing reverence, admiration, or fear, healthy fear. That's so good. We want that today too, but the last part of this definition of awesome is this. It says slang, has in very impressive, and the example is that new white convertible is totally awesome. All right, now, The first part of the definition I like, the last part of the definition, not so much, not for today. Okay, here's the problem. That new white convertible is not totally awesome. No offense to those who like totally white convertibles, all right? Why? Why isn't it awesome? Because our God is awesome. And how is our God awesome? Well, we're going to find out. You better buckle up right now because this white convertible, you're about to get played big time when compared to the awesome nature of our awesome God. Let's jump into our outline. It's very simple today, but I believe very profound. Why is our God so awesome? Why should we look to him? Number one is this, my God is big. And all God's people said, very big. Yes, and we say big, we mean big. So I'm really excited. Look at verse 12 right now. Verse 12 says this, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in the scales and the hills in a balance. So right away, notice the big picture here. God is directing them to the big picture, pun intended, with this point, because that's the whole point right now, okay? This is so key right now. Notice what God is doing with his people discouraged and tempted to despair. Notice what he's doing right now. God here is allowing the macro to put the micro in perspective. I'll say it again. God is instructing his people with the theology of his glory and his reality. He's using the macro to interpret the micro. That is an overwhelming biblical principle that we need to hear so often. What happens so much in society, what happens so much in our own lives is we let the micro start to interpret the macro. We let the circumstances of our lives start to dictate the reality of our understanding of the love of God upon our lives. That's totally backwards. You have to flip that around. You have to look up and see the big picture of God and the macro nature of who he is in his providence and his sovereignty and let that then start to interpret the circumstances of our day. It is absolutely life-changing. This is what the Lord is doing then for his people. This is what he's doing for us right now here, Hope Mississauga today. Let's get into the details of our text. It's so exciting. He says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, okay? So wherever you are right now, I want you to cup your hand like this because this is the hollow of your hand, okay? And I want you to imagine, you can do it later on today as I did again earlier before. How much water can you hold in the hollow of your hand? So I measured this. I got one tablespoon Aren't you proud of me? I got one tablespoon of water to uh, be, it kind of leaked out a little bit, but to hold in the hollow of um, my hand. How much could you hold? Not much more than me. I searched up this week. Two-thirds of the earth's surface is water. At some places, it's six miles deep. That means the estimated total volume of water on earth, listen carefully, is 1.386 billion kilometers deep. Cubed. Cubed. You're like, how much is that? A lot more than fits in your bathtub, all right? Consider the weight of such water. We've all tried to lift one of those kind of five-gallon bottles of water, those kind of uh, containers of water. It's heavy. Some of us can't even do that. But our God has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. Can you say awesome? And that is our awesome God. What's the Bible doing right here? It's called anthropomorphism. It's speaking of God in human terms because we know that God is not a being found in a human body. But rather what we do is we use words and metaphors that we understand to partially explain the awesome nature of our God. But the Bible continues. Look at verse 12 again. It says here, And marked off the heavens with a span. Now what's a span? A span is this. A span is the width of your hand from the tip of your thumb to the tip of your pinky. You can do that right now at home, whatever. In families, you can try to measure who has the the largest span. Let me ask you again. Again, how far can you measure with the span of your hand? Well, the average hand is about seven inches. Seven inches, humanly speaking. But ready? Our God can measure the heavens, the universe, with the span of his hand. You're like, wow, that seems to be a bigger hand than I have. Yes, I know. Let's put this in perspective. How far across is our universe? The number is incalculable. We do know this though, the nearest star beyond our sun is four and a half light years away. And we know that light travels at 186,000 miles a second. So this means that this nearest star that we can see and know is 26 trillion miles away. 26 trillion miles away. But remember, that's our nearest star. And apparently astrophysicists, they discovered what is believed to be the farthest object that we know from this earth. There's a tiny galaxy out there that is 13 billion light years away. Compare that with four and a half light years to our nearest star. So 13 billion light years away, how far is that? Think about that. That is 13 billion times 100 trillion miles away. 13 billion times 100 trillion. How far is that? I have no idea. It's just so far. In fact, when you think about it enough and you try to measure in your head and how vast this universe is, the only expression I can point to right now is on the screen for you right now. Let's put that up. This is what I think happens to me right here. Yes, mind blowing (laughs) emoji when you try to picture all of that and gather that for yourself. I'm sure many of you are like, that's so true. Amen and amen. But listen church, those who are dearly loved, all that to say, our God has marked off the heavens with a span, can you say awesome God? But we're not done yet. In fact, we're not even done verse 12 yet. Look at verse 12. Who has enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. So God has measured the dust of the earth. We can't even number the hairs on our head. We could never measure the dust in our houses. God has measured the dust of the earth and this weighed the mountains in scales. Think about that. You and I both would struggle mightily to lift a 50 pound rock and boulder. I've tried that at different times in my life. It is hard. And our God though weighs the mountains in the scales. The mountains in the scales. God picks up and weighs them. That's how big and awesome he is. You know, right here before us in our Bible, we have a true, again, nonfiction reality of the greatest superhero ever, God Almighty, His Son, Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. We get so enamored in our day with fictional superheroes, all the Marvel people. We get so excited about them when we tell stories, watch movies, and we tell our friends, and yet here before us is someone who's true and real and awesome, and we belong to Him. Get excited about Him. He's the one who's truly awesome. Church today, look up, look up. Look up from your circumstances. Look up to the one and be like, oh yeah, he is in control. He is awesome. He is huge. He is absolutely amazing. Number two is this. Look up and understand my God is smart. Mm, Really smart. Look at verse 13 now. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? What man shows him counsel? Whom did he consult? Who made him understand? What a great verse. Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Again, what verses right here? I love these verses so much. Why? They fill my heart with adoration. They fill my heart again with worship and glory. And why would you say that, Robbie? Because humans humans think they're so smart humans so often so proud and so arrogant boasting of this and belittling God in our day at least in our nation I think like 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 never before with untold arrogance we claim we have figured God out with massive pride we explain God away with all our intellect and all our degrees or all our self-knowledge but you see the glory in these verses look at it carefully there who advises God no one. Whom does God consult? No one. He doesn't have to. How can you teach the one who knows all things? There's a beautiful song called Behold Our God. I want to put the lyrics up on the screen for you right now. And here's one of the verses that says, I encourage you, this is by Sovereign Grace Music. It is so powerful and so wonderful as we want to sing the truth and theology. It says this, who has given counsel to the Lord? Who can question any of his words? Why? Because who can teach the one who knows all things? Who can fathom all his wondrous deeds? I love that. Who can teach the one who knows all things? So when you have perfect wisdom and you hold perfect omniscience, that's what this means is that you cannot be improved upon ever. You can't improve perfection, church. Whom did the Lord consult when he created the heavens and the earth, huh? Whom did the Lord consult when he created perfectly in his design of male and female? Who did he ask for advice from? Again, who ever taught our God. Listen, the Lord has no board of directors. He has no advisory council. He doesn't refer to how-to videos. In the beginning, God. That's all you need to know. In the beginning, God. Period. Awesome. The phrase that stands out to me here in these verses where it says this, who taught him the way of justice? Who taught God the way of justice? It stands out to me because so many people, including professing believers, will so often accuse God in some form of being unjust. We make accusations that God is unfair, or God is unjust, or God is unloving, and what we do is we place ourselves in judgment then upon this awesome, infinite, all-knowing, omniscient God. And that to me, when I see this or hear this, I believe it's a grievous sin, because at that moment it's the clay placing judgment on the potter, Romans 9. God forgive us and God protect us from doing that. Loved ones, let us be very careful we don't swim in ultimate arrogance and place judgment upon God who is incapable of making a wrong decision. That's what faith understands here today. You see that? God is incapable of making a wrong decision because he's perfect in wisdom. Again, you cannot correct perfection. Loved ones, look up. Look up right now. Look up with faith and to see so much. All the wrongs will be made right. All the things we can't see and don't understand. The time is coming and Jesus Christ returns when all of this, all of this, behold, I'm making all things new and we will see exactly what he was doing in his perfect omniscient wisdom and glory. But you gotta look up to see, to believe and hold by faith that this God who says, people, look up. He says that to us today. Point number three, my God is preeminent. My God is preeminent. Biblically speaking, preeminence means superiority. It means to be over and above, it means to be first in all things. Our God is so awesome because He is infinitely superior to everything else, infinitely superior. So listen to how much greater God is than anything on earth. The text again says, look at verse 15. It says, Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. They are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlines like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. Listen, all the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Wow, what a chapter, huh? This is this amazing? Some of you have never seen this before. You're like, I've been missing this. I know. It's awesome. It's like, look up, look up, look up. Notice, behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. What's a drop? Not very much. I mean, the last time you wash your hands in the bathroom sink and you turn the tap and a drop boop down there. You're like, oh, there go the nations. <laughs> there go the nations. They're like a drop boop in the bucket compared to the glory of the Lord and says the nations are accounted as dust on the scales. I mean, you can find one of those super sensitive scales uh, in a kitchen right now. If I had one right here, I'd just kind of wipe some dust and maybe just try to get it on the scale, but it would not register. It wouldn't even, get some more dust here, get some more dust, and it wouldn't even (laughs) register on the scale, as sensitive it may be. And what the Lord says right here is that the nations don't even register compared to the glory of God. They don't even register. How about verse 16? Lebanon was known for their massive great forests, incredibly dense. The Bible often refers to the cedars of Lebanon. But the God says, all the wood in the world would not produce an altar of fire big enough to give glory to God what is due his name. And then verse 17 summarizes, all the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted, you should have this verse underlined. They are counted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Very strong language here. Nothing here in the Hebrew means, um, well, means nothing. How about that? And less than nothing really means ceasing to exist. So please understand right now, okay? This isn't God saying to the nations, you stink. Rather, what it is saying, it's an expression compared to God. The nations are nothing. So the nations compared to God, again, God's greatness is so vastly superior. He is preeminent. He is glorious. He is awesome. You take all the nations ever, all the greatest leaders ever, you add them all together and compared to God, ready? Compared to God, according to these verses, they are, boop, they equal zero, zero, less than nothing, all the greatest leaders of all time compared to the glory of God. Church, right now, look up beyond politics. Look up beyond circumstances. Look up beyond the issues of our day. Look up and see the one who is first in all things. Behold your awesome God. Let right now, God, may it be happening in every home, let the macro interpret the micro for a change. Let the perspective of our God lead to the passions of our faith and our hearts to understand again. At this time, the Babylonians subjecting God's people to exile, the Babylonians don't register on the scale compared to God. Puppets in his hand. Apply that to anywhere in the world today and it's exactly the same thing is true. Behold your awesome God. Number four, my God is unequaled unequaled look at verse 18 to whom then will you liken god that's a that's a natural progression of argument to whom then will you liken god or what likeness compare with him ready for this verse 19 ready an idol it's like the holy spirit through isaiah he's incredulous here like really baffled an idol a craftsman casts an idol with goldsmiths overlays an idol with gold he casts it for silver chains He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. So again, considering all that we've gone through thus far within this chapter, can you see how utterly ridiculous these verses are meant to be? Right here in this context, we have insight into how dumb idolatry is, not to mention wicked. Isaiah here in verses 19 and 20, he is speaking with total mockery over idols. He's like, You want to compare God to an idol? an idol that is made by man, an idol of gold, an idol of wood. He's like, you better be careful. You better choose some wood that not rot because that would be embarrassing. You better get a skilled craftsman. You wouldn't want your idol to be ugly. That would also be embarrassing. Hey, take great care. Make sure you fashion an idol that won't fall over, you know, during the day or night because that would also be embarrassing to have an idol that you worship that can't even stand up properly. He's referring here to the wickedness of the human heart and how deceitful it is. It can actually be that we would replace our one perfect God with a piece of wood. Many of you watching right now, you say, well, I don't worship wood. I mean, obviously an idol can be anything that has greater value to us than God, but a lot of us worship our homes, they're made of wood. A lot of us spend more time focusing on the awesome realities of our house than we would say the awesome properties and attributes of God. You say, well, I don't worship metal. Again, a lot of us honestly would would refer to the white convertible as being more awesome than we would referring to our God being awesome. Idolatry. How deceitful our hearts can be. And furthermore, just think of it this way. Idol worship is so stupid because think of it this way. How could something made by humans be the creator or the maker of humans? Humans make it, yet we worship it like it made us. That's the dumbest thing ever. And that's what the human heart so often does. Church, right now, remember this as we go through this glorious chapter in God's Word. Remember, worship ultimately is worth ship. It's where we find our worth and what we place our worth in. We worship that which we find worth in. Be very, very careful. Here's the point idols are so dumb. But our God is unequaled. He is absolutely unequaled on any measurement ever. Behold your awesome God. Number five, let's keep going. My God is sovereign. It just keeps getting better and better. Look at verse 21. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told for you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. It is he who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. It is he who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. So verse 21 is like one of those... Like, right. hello, anyone? Anyway, kind of like you're knocking someone's head. Like, remember that when you were in grade school? Hello, anyone home? Maybe you still do it right now, right? Hello, anyone home? He's like knocking on someone's head and says, hey man, have you forgotten? Like, you've been told this, right? And again, like, you need to remember, you know better, church. And that's why it's so healthy to be right now in Isaiah 40. We need to hear this right now. I just believe, and I just believe by faith that many of you be encouraged in this moment. You're so encouraged because the eyes have gone up. God is lifting your eyes up to him. And you're like, right. He is the one who's in control. He is the one who is awesome. He is the one, listen, who is sovereign. I don't know if I've ever thought about the sovereignty of God more than the last 11 months. I have to to make it. Every time I see the reality of our God. Verse 22, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth. He's positioned above the circle of the earth, notice that, not stress, not worry, not biting his nails, not pacing, not sweating because he's uncertain of what's going to happen next. Reminds me of Isaiah 66 verse 1 where it says that God says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. As has been said many times before, the Lord is ruling the universe with his feet up. That's just an awesome picture. I do both feet, but I fall on my back if I did that. Okay, he's ruling the universe with his with his feet up. Listen, we get stressed about making dinner, and God is ruling the universe with his feet up, with the earth as his footstool. And then verses twenty three. And 24, the one who brings princes to nothing and makes rulers of the, as the earth, as emptiness. Listen to verse 24. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them, and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. Wow. Verses 23 and 24, much like, you can maybe look quickly at verses 6 and 8. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. It speaks of the fleeting nature of man. It speaks of the overwhelming sovereignty of God. God is in control. God is in control. God is in charge of all things. God appoints rulers. God dethrones every single ruler he decides in that moment. So comforting. Think of the rulers over time. Think of Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar and Caesar and Herod and Alexander the Great and Hitler. It was Joseph Stalin of the Soviet Union who said this. He said, We will pull that bearded God out of the sky. Well, guess what? Stalin is long dead and God is still in the sky. And one day soon, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is going to return from that sky, riding on the clouds with the sound of the trumpet to gather all those who are his and to totally decimate anyone who opposes him. You have not pulled that bearded God out of the sky and you never will because he is awesome and sovereign and he is unequaled. In fact, he sees the inhabitants of earth as grasshoppers. He brings the princes to nothing. The rulers are as emptiness. Hope, Mrs. Saga, behold your awesome God. I mean, all I'm doing is going through one verse at a time right here and showing you how much God's like, hey, my people, look up, look up. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Have you forgotten? I cannot be stopped. My God is big, smart, preeminent, unequaled. My God is sovereign. Number six, my God is holy. Look at verse 25. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. The Holy One. This verse here is really the final nail in the coffin of any comparison to our awesome God. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. So not only is our awesome God big and wise and preeminent, unequaled and sovereign, but now we understand he is holy. His holiness is so significant. His holiness, it means that he is unattainable, unassailable, moral perfection. The Holy One here is without the definite article as though holy were another name of the Lord. Our God, holy, is his name. We love the hymn, holy, holy. Holy, holy, and there's a reason from that taken from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. It's those around the throne singing and shouting, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. The Hebrew language here uses repetition, saying holy three times for emphasis as we would as underlining or italics or putting in bold. To say something three times makes it emphatic. It speaks of totality. It's a superlative. You see, we would never read that God, or we don't ever read that God is wise, 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 or God is strong, 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 as much as he is. But we do read that he is holy, holy, holy. No wonder when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he began with, pray like this, Father in heaven, hallowed, hallowed be your name. That you would make the Lord holy in your adoration of him. Our God is holy. Look up, look up. He is perfect. He is awesome. And all of this, and what a text it is, leads us to our final point. Fittingly, number seven, my God is great. My God is so great. Verse 26, Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number and calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Again, look at the start of verse 26. Lift up your eyes. You see, you see, behold your God. Stop looking down. Look up. Look up. Lift up your eyes and see the God of glory. See how great he is, his greatness of his might. So perfect here. The Bible keeps telling us again look up, look up. I remember um, several years ago, I had the chance and the privilege of going to the Grand Canyon. I remember standing on the vastness of the Grand Canyon and just how awesome and beautiful it was, and seeing all this. I remember sitting beside me, there's some teenage girl, who has got her phone on, she's texting her boyfriend. Texting her boyfriend, the whole Grand Canyon there. She's in so I, I took her phone and I threw it in the Grand Canyon and she finally looked up. I didn't actually do that, so I cannot tell a lot, all right? But I wanted to take her phone and throw it there. I said, you, you silly girl, look up. Look up at the majesty around you. Stop focusing on the temporal. That's a word for someone, by the way. There's some girls or boys out there right now and stop texting your boyfriend. Look up and love the Lord God Almighty. The Grand Canyon, his majesty is to be held. Again, you've got to look up from your phone if you want to see the glory of the Lord. At some point, you've got to put it down. And at some point, you've got to turn off the TV. And at some point, you've got to turn off the internet. Just look up and be still and know that he is God. But notice what it says here in verse 26. And I love this so much. It says, the hosts are the stars. He brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name. This is amazing to me, okay? So on the screen for you, when it comes to the stars, God's, this is from the ESV study Bible, God's creating the stars would have been awe-inspiring even in ancient Israel, where about 5,000 stars were visible at night. But astronomers now estimate, however, that there are more than 400 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy, and that there are 125 billion galaxies in the universe. So the total number of the stars is estimated at 1 times 10 to the power of 22. Or 10 billion trillions. What? (laughs) You know what? Actually, that's a great time, I think, to get that mind-blowing emoji back on the screen for y'all, right? Because, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's that's the only words I have right now. I mean, just, just, just awesome. And then let me show you a picture here from the Hubble telescope. Here's a picture, again, taken not that long ago of just a a snapshot of the immensity and the glory of the stars. Look at that. Look at that, church. Worship the Lord. Just awesome. But here's the kicker. In verse 26, it says, He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name. And not, it says, and it says, and not one is missing. Really? Not one is missing. Can you say my God is awesome? Just overwhelming to take in all in one message. But wait, there's more. This big, smart, preeminent, unequaled, sovereign, holy, great, and awesome God who knows every star by name. Listen, listen, look right here, look right here, right? Just be still for a second. This awesome God, listen. He knows you by name too. He knows you by name too. There's two verses I skipped over that I want to end with right here in verses 10 and 11. Behold your God, listen to this, verse 10. Behold the Lord your God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Listen to this. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. The God of glory, the God who is sovereign, the God who is providential, the God who is unequal, the God who is majestic, the God who is holy, the greatness, the vastness, the wonder of God. This God is the same God who calls all the stars by name, who sets them all in place, but now this God, so transcendent now is imminence. He calls you by name. And I love the picture here in verse 11. It says, and he will gather them in his bosom. He will hold them in his arms. The greatness of God picks you and I up as his children. And just as a child nestles into the chest in comfort and protection, our God does that to you and me forever. Wow. He holds us in the care, the protection, the safety, the eternal security of his bosom. He carries the lambs in his arms I don't know where you are today i don't know exactly who's watching the lord knows precisely maybe today's the day where you give your life to this awesome god the name of his son is jesus christ who lived and died and rose from the dead when you believe in him and love him and you ask for your sins to be forgiven and repent and believe in him for everlasting life you will be adopted into the family of god you will never die and this awesome god he invites you right now again by the death and the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, that you will live forever. I implore you right now, give your life to Jesus Christ. You will never be more certain of anything. You will never be more safe. You'll never be more guaranteed of eternal life to come. In a world that is lost, Jesus Christ is the one who comes and finds and saves. May it be so. May it be so. Let's pray together. I'm so glad to be with you today. Father in heaven, you are absolutely wonderful and great and awesome there is none like you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for, as you said to the people of Judah in exile and they were despairing, you said, look up, look up, look at me. As you say to us today that you strengthen those who wait for you. You will cause them to mount up with wings like eagles, to run and not be weary, to walk and not faint. And today i pray lord that in each home and again as i started in each home you are directing hearts every heart with faith and joy i pray in some places tears filling eyes and running down the cheeks to see this awesome god cares for me he is in control you will bless and move and guide and reveal yourself more and more oh lord help bless this church bless hope mississauga protect them oh may they know your love your glory your grandeur Yes, Lord, use them so powerfully in the day where light is so needed. We pray these things now, and I pray even this response is so fitting that you will use it and bless it. In the name of the glorious God, Jesus Christ, amen.